What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies and television and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm David Sims. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, uh, Megan Garber. Hi. And Shirley Lee. Hello. How's everyone doing? Doing pretty well. Yeah? Excited to talk about Top Gun, I'll tell you that. Yeah, uh, you know what I have with me? What? What do you have with you? <gasps> Oh, she's got some shades. Amazing aviators. I've oh got my aviators. Gosh. I don't have a bomber jacket, unfortunately. It's a fluid <laughs> movement, the donning of the aviators. Because, you know, Tommy, he really snaps him on. Uh, so the movie Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to Top Gun, is finally coming to theaters after getting delayed many, many times by the pandemic. Uh, I think its initial scheduled release date was July 12th, 2019. Uh, they delayed it till June 2020. I think more for genuine reshoots and production reasons. And then, of course, because of the COVID pandemic, it got kicked to July 2021. And then it got kicked to November 2021. And then it got finally moved to where it is actually being released, May 27th, Memorial Day weekend, 2022. So this is one of the last... COVID, like delayed by COVID movies to actually make uh, it to the big screen. It's been this sort of story of Hollywood blockbusters for a couple of years now. All these films that were uh, that were made a long time ago or thing, you know, were made under different circumstances. And uh, and here Top Gun Maverick is. And this this movie has all these scenes in crowded bars. It really feels like a movie that was made before the pandemic. Uh, Megan, you wrote about it for the magazine, and I think the headline of your piece was uh, "Top Gun is an infomercial for America." Uh, so yeah, tell me about that, mate. Like you know, you you your tell me about your reconsideration or or whatever your your consideration of the meaning of of Top Gun and Maverick. Sure. Yeah. So I I grew up with Top Gun in the air, as it were. I don't remember exactly when I watched it for the first time, definitely not in theaters, but at some point when I was a child and I remembered it as just, you know, airplanes, like exciting, you know, and, and I sort of had the detritus of that movie as 
part of my childhood. Like in toy stores, there were like F-14 toys you could buy. And there was an amusement park near my house that had eventually a Top Gun-themed ride where you would just <gasps> listen to Danger Zone on a horrifying loop as you <laughs> waited for this ride. So Top Gun was just sort of everywhere in my childhood. But as a film, I had not really thought about it for many years until going back to reconsider it for this story. And yeah, it really did strike me how much of the film works as an ad. And I don't just mean that in terms of propaganda, although definitely that is part of it, but like an ad in the sense of it is selling something at every juncture. An ad will sort of strip away the context and the complications of the world until all that's left is need, like naked need and, uh, you know, a big blob of want. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! And that's what this film really does. And I think really successfully, for better or for worse, as we can talk about. Um, and then also infomercials in particular, I think, try to foster this very direct dialogue with their audiences. They try to have a discourse that will last for an hour or whatever the length of the infomercial is to sort of anticipate the viewers saying no to the product. And instead, it will say, no, here's why you're wrong. You'd think that this knife will not cut through wood. But wait, we will show you how this knife is going to cut through wood. And every time the viewer might have an objection to the thing being sold or a question about whether the thing being sold is true, the infomercial will say, actually, let us tell you a little bit more. But wait, there's more approach to things. And I think Top Gun definitely does that. You think at first, maybe Maverick's kind of a jerk because he kind of is. But wait, there's more. He's also grieving and complicated and a romantic hero. And um, at every turn, Top Gun is using the logic of the advertisement to share its artistic message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it as an ad versus an infomercial type film. It's like, aren't you just as hyped as Maverick is when he's riding his bike next to the fast zooming planes? And so you kind of want to like toss your fists up in the air. That's that's very infomercial. And it can be yours for four easy payments of $19.99. It's also easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean... The film's directed by Tony Scott, who's the sort of slightly flashier, less critically respected brother of Ridley Scott. Although, in my opinion, Tony Scott is one of Hollywood's great auteurs of sort of 80s and 90s trash cinema. But he came out of commercials, as did Ridley Scott, of course. There's a lot of filmmakers in the 80s, especially, strangely, out of Britain, like Alan Parker is another one, like these guys who had cut their teeth doing a hard mm. sell, right? Ridley Scott had a famous ad for Hovis Bread. Obviously, he had his famous Apple ad. It's something that, I guess, before now, it was just not happening in Hollywood. Like, why would a commercial director move to features? But then it becomes like the sort of template for like these big action with Michael Bay, David Fincher, these guys who make commercials as sort of ways to show off how like muscular their storytelling can be, you know, like how quickly you can like sell someone on a, like a guy or a, concept or a country. just an, an image like a product <laughs> or a, yeah or a country gentlemen this is the real thing this is what you've been trained for you are america's best make us proud all right so top gun like it's obviously it was an enormously successful film <laughs> it's such a weird movie because it's so gung-ho it's about the navy and it's about the military and all this but like the enemy is 
oblique like who is the enemy they're like we don't even really understand who they're fighting against it doesn't really matter it's more just about like victory and we're great we are the best of the best we're the cream of the crop over here we have lessons to learn but that's how america works and we're gonna (laughs) triumph but it's it's like because i guess like we're not you know in world war ii or even you know vietnam or like it's this military movie where the enemy doesn't matter. It's more just like triumph that matters. How's it feel to be on the front page every newspaper in the English-speaking world, even though the other side denies the incident? So I think that's part of what's being sold is just, you know, the simplicity of the enemy, um, you know, the sense that you don't really, in this movie, have to think about the enemy. You don't have to consider anyone, basically, but the person who's in that plane. Um, and I think, you know, for viewers, there's something that can be kind of reassuring about that, um, you know, because you don't have to sort of consider the the broader moral complexities of war. You don't have to consider context really at all. You don't have to consider the other people on the end of things. Um, you know, so I think there's a way that like this movie can work as sort of a metaphor for, you know, a lot of American approaches um, to geopolitics. And, you know, watching it, especially recently, um, you know, you think about Ukraine, for example, and all the, um, you know, the images that we're seeing from Ukraine, just the fact of the war happening there, and then to watch um, a movie that does so much to sort of elide those tragic realities and just sort of, you know, essentially treat war as a game. Um, there's so much of, you know, video game in this movie. And um, I think the way Top Gun does that, um, you know, all of the things that make it good can also make it pretty insidious. Yeah, I mean, Megan, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. It's the kind of film that, you know, does what I don't know, we've been doing forever when it comes to talking about the context of war, just it's casual, right? It flattens that imagery just to the point that you don't really know who the enemy is. You don't need to know their motivations. You just know they're shooting at you. You just know they're bad. It's 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 black and white. Mm-hmm. And the video game imagery really, really works, works for that. Anyway, should we talk a little bit about what Top Gun is? Ooh, let's. <laughs> yes. Like what the actual program is, like Top Gun itself, or just the plot of the movie Top Gun? I just wanted to point out that Top Gun, in my mind at least, is a, about a bunch of cute boys calling each other cute names. <laughs> but- <laughs> very true. That's very true. <laughs> but what it actually is... <laughs> is a story about uh, some hotshot Navy fighter pilots. They've got these cute names that are called call signs. They've got names like Maverick and Goose and Hollywood. Iceman. Merlin. Slider. Yeah. I'll keep going. Cougar. (laughs) Viper. Thank you. Uh, So Cruz is Maverick. He's pretty arrogant. He's kind of cocky, right? I mean, he is a naturally skilled fighter pilot, whatever that means. Maverick goes off to Top Gun, which is this elite flight school that the film outlines is where he and his classmates can learn, quote, the lost art of aerial combat. And they all get to compete for the Top Gun trophy, which would, you know, cement them as the best fighter pilot in the meantime, he also falls in love with his instructor, <laughs> the only uh, female character of any consequence in the film, played by Kelly McGillis. Uh, Her name is Charlotte, yes, but she's called Charlie, and she knows a lot about planes. So he learns life lessons, he makes mistakes, etc. Right. It has the mechanics of a high school drama or whatever. He's mm-hmm. like, right. And, and, and also just the sort of, the very classic monomyth sort of thing of, oh, he's the chosen one, but he must learn from his mistakes and he must face this low point and face tragedy and then rebound. It, it's a very familiar arc. 
Yeah, it is very totally. high school. I, there's also a way to think of it, perhaps, as a Western, like a lot of the themes, you know, sort of the individual versus the collective, law versus lawlessness, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, even just the fact that his call sign is Maverick, you know, named for like the, the cow that wouldn't join the herd. It, it's a Western with a little more rules because technically they are at school they're being instructed they're not supposed to just fly their planes whenever they want i guess <laughs> the whole sort of like reagan era we're back on top we're winning the cold war america's supreme vibe of top gun where it's this guy's a rule breaker but also like he's going to navy school like he's not a rule breaker like he's a pioneer going out into the great unknown like there's a little bit more of a sort of safe veneer over the whole thing totally and i think one element of that is the fact that maverick is this character who like in one way embodies you know rugged individualism with all the mythology mm -hmm. around that kind of stuff you know he's so talented he's an intuitive flyer as they say again and again he just <laughs> yes, so great, intuitive great feel great feel <laughs> Great feel for the, for the air. air exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's such a big part of his characterization is the fact that he's preternaturally, innately talented for this work that, that he is going to do. And yet at the same time, it's work that, of course, is like done for the collective good, ostensibly. So there's that kind of tension. But I think there's also the tension of Maverick is an embodiment of like meritocracy and myths of meritocracy. And he's at yes, the top, the but best. he deserves to be, you know, and everything he does is justified because he's so talented. He does things that no one else could get away with if they were not as talented as he is. So that's one side of things, I think. But then there's the other side, because this movie is always given and taking, um, that, you know, he is the son of another amazingly intuitive, talented fighter pilot. And so he also suggests ideas about legacy and in a way, almost like aristocracy or the way that Americans interpret that for our own purposes. And I think in the end, I'm going to go ahead and spoil a teeny bit for this for this uh, very old movie. But in the end, yeah, I think... spoilers for Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the movie sort of has it both ways, right? And Maverick gets to have his sort of individualism and his talent is vindicated. But at the same time, his dad is also vindicated. You know, mm -hmm. the dad does sort of represent America's legacy in Vietnam and the tragedy of it. And here is a guy who is sort of representing America as it existed in the 1980s, realizing that the legacy actually was not as tarnished as he thought. And actually, the whole time, his father had been a hero and all of that. And I think that's very meaningful for, you know, what this movie is trying to do symbolically. We're discussing Top Gun like it's this rich text, and it is a rich text. <laughs> I'm not saying it is, <laughs> but it's also this sort of like moron movie. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. Like it's made to be this sort of just like energy injection. Like it's produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, who at this point in their career, they had done Flashdance, they had done Beverly Hills Cop, but this is pretty early. But like, you know, they're going to refine this sort of Hollywood formula of you are here for high octane action, really, really attractive people, and a message that is we win, like a message that yes. is like we will destroy the enemy. And that's what Top Gun's mm -hmm. basically giving you. It's just that there is something weirdly deep about this movie nonetheless, despite like it clearly is written to be like, this should be something that's pretty simple to sell. But maybe just because of like the historical context we're talking about and because of the sort of like eventually famous sort of gay subtext the movie like takes on 
uh, and stuff like that. It, it has become this weirdly easy to revisit text. Yeah, it's easy to revisit, and you call it a moron movie, but it, it, it is, is true. It's a moron it, movie. It, it is true. It is absolutely a moron movie, and yet it does hit everything that you want from a popcorn movie. Really, this is the '80s version of a Fast and Furious movie, mm-hmm. right? This is you can trace the lineage through all of these movies about macho men in their fast vehicles let's put someone mm-hmm. onto a roller coaster ride basically and give the audience the same feeling but you're left with images that you can't really get out of your head contact multiple bogeys one six five two miles looks like they're going away from us oh i see him tally ho right to a clock i'm in i'm in it's not just the action scenes, but there's something so just beautiful about this movie. Like from the very beginning, like the like balletic choreography of, you know, the crew of the USS Enterprise as they're like bringing the planes in and everything and the kind of swooping mm-hmm. through the skies of the planes. And I think there's a way if you do sort of accept the idea that this film is propaganda, which I definitely do, I think it <laughs> makes the the messages feel a little bit more insidious because so often the, these very dangerous things are made beautiful, you know, and we're, we're coming mm-hmm. off of a presidency, I would argue, that existed in part because of the way Americans treat entertainment, you know, and that we put such mm-hmm. a primacy on being entertained and being lulled that we perhaps can be blinded to other things. And it seems in a way like Top Gun is sort of getting at that with its very beauty. It's just saying, don't yes. worry, it's, a, it's okay. Everything that we're doing up here, it's fun and it's exciting and it's also beautiful. And that's what you should focus on and not the people on the mm-hmm. other end of the guns. Yeah, Megan, thank you. Being lulled was what I was looking for. It's so lulling. (laughs) It's hypnosis. That's exactly what it is, yeah? (laughs) I loved this movie when I was a kid because they all have their own nicknames, which I thought was cool. I think as a (laughs) kid, I just... I think I just thought about, like, what would my helmet look like and what would my call sign be and... And, and like maybe that's sort of the mm-hmm. high school element where like you know it's just a bunch of guys hanging out, going to class, and then they get to fly planes <laughs> around. Like the uh, Iceman makes sense, especially you know like there has to be the end of the sort of the other smart kid or the bully or who are the kid you're going to clash with. That's such a familiar trope. Kilmer though does something that's so special for like it, he's not just a typical snarling cruel high school bully he does there's that one scene where he bites oh, <laughs> at Tom so Cruise's give him an Oscar he's... just for that <laughs> yeah there's something so feral about that and it it makes you concentrate a little harder you're everyone's problem that's because every time you go up in the air you're unsafe I don't like you because you're dangerous that's right nice man I am dangerous so watching the movie, one of my maybe shameful <laughs> reactions is that I felt myself identifying so much more with Iceman than with Maverick. And I don't know if that says bad things about me as a person, but I just kept thinking, you know, Iceman is right. Like, yes, he is set up as the villain of this movie. And yes, in some ways he is quintessentially villainous. And yet at the same time, I think if I were 
on that squadron, I would feel exactly like Iceman. I would not want to be flying with someone like Maverick who will just go rogue whenever he decides to, who will be your wingman and then just leave you without any real reason. You know, and it just seems like these are literally life and death situations. And I would be happy to hang out with Maverick, but I would actually not want him as a colleague in that situation. I would want Iceman, Mm -hmm. even though I know he's set up as the villain. And I think in a lot of ways, he does sort of represent per the Cold War setting, like the, the sort of so Soviet style of being very mechanistic and soulless and collective above all and all that kind of stuff. And I know that's set up as a negative here, but I did feel like maybe he's the hero of this movie. I agree with you that he's basically right in in that he's like, Maverick, stop being such a maverick. Like we're we're here to learn <laughs> and this is a matter of life and death. But I, I don't know if he's the hero. He's the dilemma of the movie anyway, because he just represents the rules Maverick has to break to achieve his own sort of like emotional fulfillment, right? Like Maverick has to realize truths about himself. And that is very American of him <laughs> that like he has to break <laughs> rules and maybe people are going to die. And at the end of the day, he's going to kind of get a pat on the back and a sort of a weird apology. The apology scene, the scene where Iceman tries to express some sort of sadness but he can't really where they had that Mm -hmm. in the locker room is very is honestly like palpable like they're such high strung men like they can't Mm -hmm. really admit any weakness and the closest Iceman can do is just like tail off I'm sorry about Goose everybody liked him yeah everyone liked him it's like (laughs) I'm sorry you lost your best friend is what that means (laughs) yeah Quentin Tarantino's in the movie Sleep With Me where he has this whole monologue that he wrote himself (laughs) in very Tarantino fashion that he delivers about how Top Gun is this movie that's filled with gay subtext and it's really all about Maverick struggling with his homosexuality. Like, that's the problem. And this becomes, I feel like, this sort of accepted, like, not that, yes, the movie's definitely about that, but like a very famed reading of the movie that... The screenwriters and the producers are sort of like, I don't know what they're talking about, but but Tony Scott definitely was like, yeah, sure. I was like rubbing them up with baby oil for these volleyball scenes. I knew what I was doing. I'm making <laughs> this very like cheesecakey movie. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to embrace their sort of, you know, overflowing masculinity. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're going off a moron movie into truly lowbrow territory here. But the setting of Top Gun kind of reminds me of the Bachelor Mansion, um, where all of these... All of these men are trapped in one location and Mm. they have kind of never been in a situation where they are not the hottest one in the room. They're not the guy that every woman in the world is going to make a beeline for. And now they're all competing with each other. And so they will do ridiculous things to kind of one up each other. You start playing beach volleyball. You have this need to be the most visible, cocky, just the best in the room. And so I love that the film... Just again, it's hypnotic in the way that you get these shots of this 
very aggressive gum chewing. The men, you know, really just constantly posing like they're being photographed. That's such a good right. point. It's, There's also so much sweat yeah. in this movie. Just everywhere. Everyone yes. is just, I'm like, I hope they hydrated yeah. after filming because that is a lot of sweat. <laughs> It, it's it's a damp movie. I do feel like that's that's kind of it's 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 a like Titanic, one of the dampest movies ever made, and not just because people are drowning, not because it's in the water, but like everyone's hair is always glistening, and everyone's like face is always a little sweaty, yeah. and like you know that's sort of often part of this very broad sex appeal, like to Hollywood. It's sort of like how we like spray water all over vegetables in the supermarket <laughs> to make them look. Anyway, I don't know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but the like, thing is, you don't see like their sweat stains or anything, right? It, it, it remains sexy and glistening. They're always in, taking showers. They're always in the dang locker room. You know, <laughs> they're so if clean. If nothing else, right? They're Even such if they're clean playing boys. volleyball and jeans and the baking heat or whatever they're doing. But is this all just part of what this movie is selling? Not even the propaganda aspect, but just like Megan's whole mm-hmm. thing. That this movie is selling you a package, and it's not just American exceptionalism, but it's sort of personal individual exceptionalism within that you know that you're going to figure out your problems and you're going to get the girl and you're going to overcome whatever demon it is you you know which you get whatever monkey off your back like because the romance with kelly mcgillis in this movie is like super flat mm-hmm. feels crowbarred oh, in right just there needs to yeah. be a romance yeah i mean this goes to what megan was saying about how you know insidious some of the messaging of this film is that romance kind of just exemplifies the idea that this movie is selling this vision of how boys will be boys and you should let them be boys yes. even at the ending that sort of tacked on reunion between maverick and charlie that feels very anticlimactic <laughs> after the big military <laughs> victory but there it is nonetheless she has left fighter town usa miramar ostensibly to get her big promotion in washington because we learned that she Mm -hmm. has a phd in astrophysics or aerophysics whatever it is and you know she's a big deal (laughs) she's a legitimately big deal and the movie suggests that she has gotten the promotion she wanted and yet there she Mm -hmm. comes back to miramar and i'm not sure if she like quit her job to be with Maverick or if she took a little sabbatical I really hope it's uh, the latter I think the movie doesn't really care which it is because it doesn't really care that much about Charlie because Charlie is there to be a tool of Maverick's growth just like every other character here pretty much to be the best of the best means you make mistakes and then you go on it's just like the rest of us you don't think I know that I'm here to help Shirley, I loved your point about The Bachelor so much. And I was thinking, too, that like, um, I just let's just talk about The Bachelor for a few. Um, But I I do think that one of the tensions in the movie, because all the sort of either very high stakes or very low stakes competition to just always Mm -hmm. one up each other, you know, among these guys is sort of met with. The film's, I think, broader idea, which is that everyone here exists for Maverick. It's almost like if The Bachelor were being staged and yet everyone knows who will get the final rose, right? Because the final rose has to go to Maverick, of course, you know? And and so just like that lack of tension, I think, is actually quite revealing about what the film is trying to sell and what the film is trying to do and say about Maverick as sort of, you know, a symbol for America. It's, you know, he's going to have some foibles along the way. He's going to crash and burn initially but then he's gonna find his way and just like you said Shirley like that's a very like powerful and seductive story I think to be telling but ultimately Mm -hmm. it comes back to the idea of Maverick will be absolved America will be absolved absolutely yes and 
the sort of crazy thing is how successful it was like right like it did succeed kind of as a recruitment video for the navy it there's stats about how you know recruitment's zapped up hundreds of percent after the movie came out the navy were involved obviously they're letting the crew use a lot of equipment and that's sort of part of the whole bargain of making a movie like this there's some story about how tony scott wanted to shoot like a plane i think either taking off or landing into the sunset and they were like we have to like turn the boat around for that like like you can't and he and here i'm gonna find it yes he was on the uss enterprise and he wanted to shoot the plane's backlit. So he asks the commanding officer of the ship, can we get into placement for that? And he was like, what? That would cost $25,000. And Tony Scott took out his checkbook and wrote him a check, which is a very 80s story where it's just, what does it cost? I'll pay it. To take it up with Paramount. It's like the cigar ash falling out of his mouth. <laughs> right, 100%. And now... People like to point out that like the Marvel movies, like a movie like Captain Marvel, in which she is a her backstory is that mm-hmm. she's a fighter pilot. You know, that movie was made with a little involvement from the Department of Defense or whatever. And they're acknowledged at the end. And people are like, this is propaganda, too. This is selling our youth on sort of American exceptionalism. But I'm like, I, I just don't think it's as effective. I Like <laughs> Top Gun is such a brutalist, super effective advertisement. And now this stuff is a little more just woven in in this sort of subliminal way. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Captain Marvel because when I think about military-infused <laughs> or military-funded films, I think of Pitch Perfect 3. Also not a great advertisement for the military. <laughs> sure. So didn't you want to talk about the soundtrack? Like this, the soundtrack for this thing oh, sold hell like yeah. 10 million copies <laughs> and I feel like became the template of the modern movie soundtrack. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the big chill around the same time, but the big chill is this thing where it's like, oh, we got like hits of the past that audiences mm-hmm. love, but this is like, we can use a movie as a launching ground for yeah. a hot new single. Because like the whole thing with Danger Zone, the Kenny Loggins song, is I think they, they asked a bunch of other people, like Brian Adams, I think Toto was asked to do Danger Zone, and those guys all turned it down. And they went to Kenny Loggins, who was already doing Playing with the Boys, and they were like, "You just can you just write a song called Danger Zone? I don't, it doesn't. Don't worry. Whatever you want to do with that, it just has to yeah. be called Danger Zone. Just go off Danger Zone, and we're going to put it in the movie at least three times. Right." <laughs> Here's the thing, okay, about the soundtrack. It does make the film in a lot of ways. Just going back to the hypnosis point, it's like this romance is flat, but if we play Take My Breath Away over the soft (laughs) pornography, it's going to be very soft. Yeah, very soft. So soft you could barely see them, like super (laughs) soft focus. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to worm itself into your brain, not just the earworm itself, but the images. So again, it's all, yeah, it's the film doing its magical infomercially thing. are now trapped in this void <laughs> of, <laughs> of take my breath away um going off of the soundtrack though and this whole just the fact that this movie pulls in all of these moving parts to make it like a fully blown ad i also do want to talk about the way that it redefines the american hero a little bit here we touched on as Megan was saying, that this film being very much like a Western before. And in rewatching Top Gun, it did make me think, you know, if we once defined the American hero as the cowboy, and it transformed over the years into, say, the astronaut, mm. and then in this film as the fighter pilot, what is the quintessential American hero now? It remains a man, 
I imagine. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't feel as well-defined as it perhaps felt in 1986. Yeah, I don't know what this movie is now. Like, I don't know what today's Top Gun is because every like movie like this is just a superhero movie, right? Like, it's like the masculine ideal is literally just a guy called Captain America who has a, <laughs> a, a big star on his chest. And you're like, oh, is this guy supposed to represent America? I can't tell. Like, um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so Top Gun Maverick is the movie I thought it was going to be. It's less about American exceptionalism. It's much more about Tom Cruise exceptionalism, <laughs> the sort of man myth, the movie star for many decades, his legacy as the guy who will put himself on the line to entertain us at all costs. <laughs> like that is the sort of propagandistic thrust of top gun maverick this is not an objection this is not a problem with the movie it is it is but it is more delivering on that front it's structured unlike top like i feel like top gun the original top gun is sort of a movie about school right it's a movie about uh kids interacting in this academy and all that top gun maverick is like a heist movie uh because the notion is that maverick is sort of being brought in to teach a very specific mission that is very difficult uh and that uh, these students need to understand how to f- fly through a valley <laughs> and go up a mountain and shoot a missile. And, do it. and so like it has the very, very reliable structure of like we're planning the mission. This is how we're going to do the mission. And then, oh, we're going to do the mission. It's hard. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a very that's a very sort of different take on a movie in which people are zipping around in airplanes. But it's really just a thing for the viewers to hold their hands on while they learn just how special Tom Cruise really is. Did you say the viewers, something for the viewers to hold their hands on? Are you Lady Gaga? Hold their... <laughs> Are yes. you holding well, my you hand, know, David? <laughs> one of, I will say, uh, uh, a credit comes up in the opening credits that's, uh, I think it's music by Harold Faltemeyer, <laughs> Lady Gaga, Hans yes. Zimmer. They, they have, like, it's one, one block <laughs> of, of, of three sort of separately iconic a names. Perfect trio. Three amigos. That, that is a real sort of like, oh, sure, right, yeah. United as, they, as they've always meant to be, yes. Uh, so we asked this question at the top, but 35 years after this movie comes out, as the sequel, Maverick, is about to be in theaters, like how should we, how should Americans be thinking about Top Gun all these years later, is it, you know, most memorable as a piece of propaganda? Is it great filmmaking? Can you rationalize its more problematic elements? I think elements? it's a little bit of all that, I would think? say. Um, even when war is justified, war is shameful. War is violence, obviously. Um, but I think, you know, Top Gun, because it's so successful as a piece of filmmaking, because it's so accomplished craft-wise, because it can kind of lull you into this stupor and you know, bring you into this world, it can really effectively elide the horrors of war um, and really turn war into an abstraction. And, you know, for me, that's one of the the tensions of this movie that I do really enjoy as a piece of just, you know, entertainment and escapism. Um, I think, you know, the escapist elements themselves um, can be part of the problem. And, you know, um, to see that happening in this particular moment when war is raging in Ukraine, um, so much of that war is about a battle 
of ideas and a battle of propaganda and a battle about, you know, who can legitimately be made into an abstraction versus, you know, a full human person. And I think to sort of see this movie that is presenting itself as entertainment and presenting itself as escapism, to watch that sort of play out, it's in one way totally fine, but in another way does get to all of those tensions in a way that I think can be pretty, pretty insidious. Yeah, I would agree. As we've kind of been discussing, Top Gun is a film that plays both sides in a lot of different arguments. It characterizes Maverick as the product of meritocracy, but also the product of legacy. Um, it argues for failing upwards while also trying to argue that he's exceptional from the very beginning. It is a film that has a hypnotic message that is flawed, but it is also an exceptional piece of filmmaking that came to define the visuals of films that came after and practically an entire genre. Mm. Uh, so when I watch it, I don't necessarily feel guilty. It's only upon reflection that I think, okay, I, I see what you're doing and I, I need to be aware of that. But it is mm. also fully possible to just sit down and not engage with it because it is filmed in such a way that it is just an ad. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a hard <laughs> to deny ad. And it's also a great uh, tutorial for how to play beach volleyball. I'll just say that if you want to watch it through an entirely different lens, there's a great rally. <laughs> I'm trying to make a spike joke, but I, I'm failing. <laughs> just to add one thing to that, Shirley, I, the, Top Gun as a movie with all of its concerns feels a little bit less relevant to me just in the sense of, you know, the way it conceives of the enemy, not just in the sense of this sort of invisible, spectral, unnamed enemy, which I think was resonant at the time. But today, like that enemy, even though it was spectral, was incredibly well-defined, right? Like you knew who the enemy was so intuitively that they didn't even have to say. There was a kind of obviousness to the people on the other side. And I think now one of the things Americans are dealing with is the fact that enemies, however we might define them, are so much more diffuse and harder to even identify who even is the enemy of the U.S. at this point when we have cybercrime and we have election interference and, you know, just all these ways of waging war that have nothing to do with traditional physical warfare. And so to watch Top Gun now feels like it's sort of living in this fantasy of a, another world and a, a world that is aligned totally differently from the world we have now. Yeah, it, it tiptoes up to that line of like questioning whether any of this is our mm. fault. That's Maverick's Ooh, conflict. Yeah. And then it ultimately moves away from it and it's not Maverick's fault. Right. He doesn't have to end. worry. You don't have to worry. America doesn't have to right. worry. There but you go. Maybe we do. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll give him the rose though. I guess he's here for the right reasons. <laughs> I'm Maverick. Maverick? mother not like you or something no it's my call sign should we play the call sign game or what do we think i don't have a call sign for myself personally i don't know if you guys have call signs <laughs> let's okay um here's the thing when i pitched we should figure out call signs for everybody mm -hmm. it's one of those ideas where you're like that's so much fun and then the other half of me was like oh this is hard <laughs> i mean i once i once called you a human pikachu surely i don't know if you'd accept pikachu as a call sign i'll take it i'll take it i don't mind <laughs> I actually i actually do love it I, i'll take detective pikachu but it is here's the thing now i really want a scene perhaps in in top gun maverick where they they sit down and they discuss what call signs they oh that want. would be amazing <laughs> 
They're just like you, t- Tim Robbins is like I'm really into magic, so I gotta be Merlin. <laughs> Merlin is so good, though. Like it's that's a, a great call sign. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's the same thing as like figuring out what your mascot should be, right? Like what is you know deceptively tough. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Right. It is tough to come yep. up with. Yeah, I'll, Megan, I'm going to bestow genius on you because it's your piece that kind of really. <laughs> oh, I'm taking that one for you. <laughs> <laughs> my own call sign is blushing then for myself. <laughs> sure. Is, is your, your call sign is bashful. There we if go. We're just going yeah, by just, the seven at this point. You get Doc. <laughs> yeah, I'm Doc. I'm grumpy. Or sleepy because you're a new dad. <laughs> I, that's true. I, I am very sleepy all the time. Yeah, all right. Uh, and for now, review fans, uh, it's time to give our show a little rest to the Atlantic's podcast team is working on some new stuff for you. And that means the review is going to take a break uh, and we'll be back with you in a few months. So stay tuned on that. This episode was produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez and Catherine Wells. The executive producer for the Atlantic's audio team is Claudine Abade. Our art is by Charlie Lemignon. I'm David Sims. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, David. And thank you, Shirley. Thank you. Bye. Bye.